Welcome to Bipolar Bloodlines. I'm Anthony, a former Air Force air traffic controller. I work in IT, I'm 25, and I live with bipolar type 1. And I'm Anthony's mom, Cherie. I'm 44, a nurse, and I live with rapid cycling bipolar type 2. We came to this space to share our journey both as individuals and as a family. Whether you came here to feel less alone, to learn something new, or just because you're curious, stick around. We might just have something for you. Hey friends, it's Cherie. I wanted to share something that triggered me recently. It's something I think a lot of people can probably relate to, but I wasn't sure I could say all of it in front of my son, so I'm solo today. Trigger warning, this episode may be one you want to skip if you are sensitive to content about survival of sexual assault. This isn't an easy thing for me to talk about, but I'll do my best. Um, I was in a public place a few days ago in an elevator, and I experienced a trigger. Not a bipolar trigger, but um, one of remembered trauma. Uh, I was alone in the elevator, but a previous occupant had been wearing a scent that I'll never forget. It was the same scent worn by the man who sexually assaulted me in my own home. As soon as I recognized it, I felt sick. I had to return to my car and have a little cry, calm down, and remember that I was okay. Um, I had to remember that I am the badass who survived and worked hard to get better that I did get better, and that means that I can share my story. Here's the short version of that story. Um, Back in February of, I think it was 2021, um, I hired someone to do some work outside my house, and he asked to enter my home on pretense of using the restroom, and instead used the opportunity to push me into the bathroom and do something ugly. And that's as detailed as I'm going to get about the assault itself. What's most important is what came after. Um, The court process was slow and it was complicated. Um, I am an educated person. I have a master's degree in nursing. I have access to resources. And it was very difficult for me to navigate the process. I kept thinking to myself all along the way, what if I was 16? What if I didn't know the things that I know? What if I didn't have access to things like a lawyer or time off from work? I made a report with the police. There was an arrest and then bail, another arrest and bail again. Um, The defendant fled the state, another arrest and then multiple postponements. Um, All the while I juggled managing my trauma in addition to managing my bipolar. It wasn't a great year for me. Um, That particular bathroom became really triggering for me. I couldn't stand seeing the door cracked even like just a little bit. It made me nauseous to be near it and it's in the literal center of my home right next to my kitchen so it was difficult to avoid. Um, During that time I kept up with my therapy and I was using a virtual reality app to help keep my emotions in check um, with uh, meditation. It took a long time to not be triggered by that space, probably more than a year. I learned how to do a lot of checking in with myself, with the people who knew what I was going through and with my doctors. And eventually one day I stripped that whole bathroom. I painted, I replaced the lighting, the fixtures, the decor, even a little shelf. I got strong enough 
to take my space back. It's now bright yellow and sunny, and now it's a space where nothing bad has happened. And I learned that I had what it took to overcome fear and trauma. And I kept waiting for my day in court. That day came eventually, but it took 19 months to bring my attacker to justice. He was arrested and let go three times. Twice he left the state. More than once I wanted to give up. I wasn't given the option to choose what plea they would offer him, but I was given an opportunity to express a preference. I wrote and rewrote a victim to impact statement half a dozen times. My whole body trembled as I read it aloud into the court record. And uh, I'm, I'm going to share it with you here. Bear with me. It's not going to be easy for me to get through. I'm the victim of a sexual assault committed by the defendant. A sexual assault he pled guilty to in September. The assault occurred when I hired him to do some mobile detailing on my husband's car, a present I gave him for his 61st birthday. The first time I delivered this statement, I was nervous. I was shaking. I held back tears. This time, I'm just mad. I'm angry that the defendant thinks that the one year of probation and registration as a sex offender is too high a price to pay for the ugly thing he did to me. I'm angry that he thinks he should not have to live with the consequences of what he did to me. Perhaps he thinks that I should be the only one to be burdened with what lingers. Getting this far has been truly exhausting. I'm going on nearly three years looking for justice and I would like to move on with my life. I've used up a week of PTO, showing up for court dates that went nowhere because the system kept allowing the man who did this to me to go free. Instead of spending my days off someplace warm and sunny with someone I love, as I had planned, I have had to spend those days in a courtroom. The defendant has made a conscious decision to avoid the consequences of his actions and has displayed a complete disregard for the authority of this court. The defendant was allowed to post bail even after he failed to appear in court and was supposed to be held without bail upon his arrest. The defendant fled the state. Even after evading the authorities, the defendant requested habeas to have his bail reviewed again and now an appeal. I, meanwhile, have shown up for every court date, repeatedly reliving the trauma of the assault that brings us here. I've had to sit in a courtroom not 20 feet from the man who assaulted me. I've had to listen to his defense attorney imply that the defendant has a mental health issue that somehow contributed to what he did to me. And I've had to listen as the defense asked for lenience for the defendant because he is a veteran. I too am a veteran, as is my husband, who has been diagnosed with PTSD. And I can assure you that neither one of us has ever sexually assaulted anyone. When the defendant pushed me into my bathroom, pressed his body against me and blocked my exit, I was terrified and I thought I was going to be raped. There's no other way to interpret his actions. He surely wasn't trying to make new friends. After minutes, I was able to escape, but since the assault, I'm afraid to go anywhere by myself. And I still have panic attacks when I'm home alone because I'm afraid that the defendant, who has been to my home, will return to it. It took almost nine months for me to be able to open the door of the bathroom the defendant pushed me into, and even longer for me to be able to go inside. It took expensive renovations in my home and in the bathroom for me to even begin to feel comfortable in that space again. 
It took therapy and medication, and it took months for me to feel comfortable being intimate with my husband again. What about my husband's mental health? My husband has had to endure all the aftermath of this experience alongside me and has repeatedly appeared here in court too, mentally preparing himself to hear his wife give a play-by-play description of the ugly thing that happened to her when he went out to run an errand. He feels responsible for what happened and believes that he failed to protect me. What was supposed to be a gift turned into a three-year nightmare. It is painful to watch the man I love process guilt that he shouldn't feel. It's guilt that belongs to someone else. To be clear, what this man took from me is not something that can be given back or made right. My sense of security in my own home was stolen from me. This man entered my home and sexually assaulted me, and this court cannot undo that. But what your honor can do is make sure that his deeds follow him the way they follow me. This court can uphold the previous court's decision to require the defendant to register as a sex offender. This court can make sure that any future employer, landlord, or volunteer organization has access to information that can keep other women safe from him. I am less concerned with how much time this man spends in jail. My main concern is that the defendant is never in a position to do this again when he gets out. That was hard, Um, but that was the end of my victim statement. I felt like I stood up for the women before me, and there were women before me. He was comfortable doing what he did because there were women before me. But I stood up for them so that there would be none in the wake after me, and I could not have done that without leaning into the people who love me. They showed me that I had the strength to help myself, even through trauma, And when I didn't have the strength, I learned to let them carry me. This could have broken me, but it didn't. If you've been the victim of sexual assault or whatever it is you're going through, hold on, friend. You have a voice. And if you need help to talk about what you've been through, let me know. I'll help you say the quiet part out loud. I know that was heavy, friends, but I also know that someone out there needed to hear it and feel less alone. Maybe that was you. I promise our next episode will be more of what you're used to, just a conversation between Anthony and myself about how we live with bipolar. But I also wanted you to know that I live with this too. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Bipolar Bloodlines. You can ask questions or suggest topics for discussion by reaching out to us at bipolarbloodlines at gmail.com. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you never miss a new episode. And follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Bipolar Bloodlines. Thanks again for being here, friends. Stay tuned, stay mindful, and remember, mental health matters and conversations make a difference.